grab your Bibles. We're going to look in Luke chapter 7 this morning as we talk about uh, being thankful as we gather inside the sanctuary. Luke chapter 7. Luke 7, we're going to read 36 through 39. Um, there's more to this story, but what I want to concentrate on this morning, you, we get down a little bit later into the section where Jesus tells a story about uh, two people who owe different amounts of money, and they were both forgiven, and, and which one is the most grateful. And that's a, a really great story. Uh, but we want to concentrate this morning on, uh, for the most of the time, on the first few verses and this woman that comes in uh, and the, the attitude that she has and what her, um, what her actions show about what's going on inside of her as she worships Christ and honors Him. Luke chapter 7, verse 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. This is the word of the Lord. I was reading a story a while back. James Kelly is a, a fellow who uh, lives over in, uh, in Washington, D.C., and he continues to go to a church there, happens to be an Episcopal church, um, despite the fact that he's an atheist. And he was asked, you know, why do you want to go to church if, if you're an atheist? And let me get the quote because I, I want to I get it right. He said, we love the, he and a number of other people go to that church even though they're atheists. He said, we love the incense, the stained glass windows, the organ music, the vestments, all of that. It's drama, it's aesthetics, it's the ritual. That's neat stuff. I don't want to give all that up just because I don't believe in God. Um, that's a bizarre statement. Because in my mind, what's the point of coming to church if you're not coming to interact with God? What, what's the point of coming into the sanctuary if your goal is not to have an encounter with the one true God? And yet, a lot of times, even though we wouldn't say that we're atheists, we would acknowledge that we believe in Jesus, a lot of times we come into the sanctuary and we come, well, because it's Sunday morning or because, well, the whole family got in the car and went, so I'm going with them. We sometimes, even as Christians, come into the sanctuary and we don't really expect an encounter with the living God. And this morning we want to look at this passage. It's an interesting one with a woman who uh, is, is sold out to Christ and, and has this desire to honor Him. And for all of us that sometimes show up for church just because we're supposed to, not necessarily because we really want to worship Him, what can we learn from this woman this morning about how to have, as we come into the sanctuary, Thanksgiving week, how can we have a heart that's overflowing with Thanksgiving? How can we have a heart that desires to honor God as we come into this room and, and, and lift Him up? Let's start with an important idea, and then we're going to get into our passage for this morning. Having an overflowing heart in worship. Deeper worship is more about what you give than what you get. 
Deeper worship is more about what you give than what you get. We, we have a problem in that a lot of times we treat church the way we treat everything else. So when I go to Walmart, I'm a consumer, and I expect them to have everything in place and for it to be good, a good experience. When I go out to dinner, I expect to you know, have my meal brought to me and it to be right and everything to be good because I'm the consumer. And then sometimes we bring that mentality over into church and be like, well, there better be good music and it better be a nice service and people better be nice to me and the sermon better be good. Why? Because I'm a consumer. I'm here to consume something and you better offer a good product. That is absolutely the wrong way to come into church. We should not come into church as consumers saying, you guys need to do something for me. We should come in as worshipers, as participants. It's not so much as we gather together, okay, what are you going to give me? You're going to give me a good song? You're going you're to give me a good sermon? So I can go out of here and say I got something. Good worship is about us coming wanting to give. Not to the preacher, not to the youth pastor, not to the choir director or the singers. We want to give to God. We come in and we want to honor Him. We want to sing not just what we're singing because the words are up on the screen, but we want to sing to God. When, when the preacher's preaching, he says something that's true that resonates with our heart. We want to say amen, not so the people around us can hear, but so that God knows I agree with this. As we gather together, we are to come through those doors thinking not about what can I get out of this service, but rather what can I give into this service. And as we do that, we need to make sure that our heart is in the right place. And so what can we learn from this lady in this, serv- in this passage this morning about making sure that our heart is where it needs to be? I'm going to ask six questions. We're going to look at a, a verse or two on each one. And I want us to consider this morning, maybe you've walked in this morning, your heart's right where it needs to be, and you're ready to worship and honor God. Maybe you're coming in and your attitude is a mile from where it needs to be. What can we do to get our hearts focused on being able to give to God what He is worthy of as we gather for worship? All right, first thing. The first thing, first question is this. Am I satisfied if I've shown up? Am I satisfied if I've shown up? So as you look at verse 36, it says there, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at his table. So sometimes when we walk through the door and we sit down, And we're like, all right, God, I'm giving you an hour of my time. I am being so generous to give you between 11 a.m. and 12 noon on Sunday morning. Here you go, I've given that. And we feel like when we come in and we sit down, like that's it. You you got me here for an hour. That's all you need, right? No. It's funny because in this passage, um, we have this Pharisee who we're going to find out later in the passage is his heart's far away from God. He, he isn't worshiping Jesus the way at all, the way that he should. His heart is distant from God, even though he has an outward appearance of religion. And yet, you know what? Jesus will sit down and eat with him. Here's the funny thing this morning. Jesus will eat with anybody. And you know what? Last time I checked, and I was busy teaching Sunday school, so I can't say for sure this morning because I wasn't at the doors, but I'm pretty sure, last time I checked, we do not have bouncers at either door. We will accept anybody that wants to come in is welcome to come in. And so when, when folks come in, it's a wonderful thing that, that you've come, but it's not like that's something really impressive. Jesus will eat with anybody. Jesus will allow anybody in his, in his sanctuary. 
And so the Pharisee here gets to sit down with Jesus, but that doesn't make the Pharisee particularly impressive. And sometimes we walk through the door and we say, I've sat down, I've shown up, I've done my job, but our job as we gather for church is not to fill a pew. Our job is to fill this sanctuary with praise. Our, our job is to lift up Jesus Christ and honor and glorify Him. We, we need to stop and think this morning. When I think about coming to church and I think about worshiping God, is my primary thought about what I do between 11 and 12 on Sunday morning, is it duty or joy? Do, do I show up because I'm supposed to and people are going to ask me if I'm not there and so I do it because of duty? Or do I think, going back to what some of the things have been said earlier in this service, you know, I'm so thankful for what God has given me. I'm so grateful for the blessings He's poured out of me, not the least of which is that, that He has come into my heart and given me salvation. And as I gather together, I get to worship Jesus again. I get to lift up God the Father again. I get to honor Him. I'm not here out of duty. I'm here because it's a joy to honor and glorify Jesus Christ. Do we gather with that desire to lift Him up, or do we show up and say, I'm here, that's all you get? Second thing, second thing. Second question is, am I looking up or to the side? Am I looking up or to the side? As you look at verse 37, it says, A woman in that town who had lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. Gee, this woman comes in, and she knows from her reputation, people are going to be looking at her. People are going to be whispering as she comes in. Guess what? She doesn't care. Who's she there to see? Jesus. And she doesn't care what the Pharisee says. She doesn't care what the other people says. All she's interested in is coming into the presence of Jesus. And sometimes when we gather to worship, um, our, our attention gets focused not on, on looking up and honoring God, but it gets focused on looking to the side. Well, you know, if I, if I say amen, what's the person over there going to think about me? Or if I, if I shed a tear at, at that song, what's the person in front of me or behind me going to think? Or if I go to the altar at the end of the service, what's everybody going to say about me? We're, we're focused on who's around us. This woman comes in. She doesn't care what anybody else has to say. All she's focused on is what Jesus thinks of her. And as we gather for worship, we need to come in not thinking about who's around us and worried about what they think of us. We need to come in worried about and thinking about what God thinks of us and wanting to honor and glorify Him and lift up His name. We need to stay focused on the Lord and putting our attention there rather than coming in and looking all around us. Because our goal in worship is not to impress those around us. Our goal in worship is to honor and glorify our Heavenly Father in Jesus Christ. Third thing. Third thing is this. Do I want people to think I have my act together? Do I want people to think I have my act together? As you look at, again at 37... It says that in the second half of the verse, she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. Now, we don't know for sure, but given the reference earlier uh, to the woman who had lived a sinful life, the presumption there is that she's probably, uh, it's a strong likelihood, that she's probably somebody 
who had been involved in prostitution or, or something like that, which then links the alabaster jar of perfume um, to something that she may have used as, as part of, of her profession. And so she brings that in with her as part of her offering, as we're going to see in verse 38, that she uh, pours uh, the perfume out uh, as a part of her offering to Christ. But as she comes in, there's the, an awareness of her sin, there's an awareness of, of her shortcomings, and yet she comes before Jesus anyway. Oftentimes when we come into church, we, we come wanting to appear as though we have everything together, we have our life where it needs to be, everything's good, and so we come in and we try to put on this show that as I come in, my life is great and I'm right where I need to be on track and everything is okay. And the problem with that is that none of us are okay. We're, we're all broken people. Uh, Clint's testimony pointed in that direction. We all have failed this week in one way or another. We all find ourselves in situations where we don't measure up. We all have struggles. We all have times where we don't feel like we're going to make it. And so as we gather together, the church is not supposed to be a place for perfect people. The church is supposed to be a gathering of broken people who are here wanting Jesus Christ to come and bring healing to them. We gather together, not as people who have it all together, but who don't. You've heard me say before, I don't go to church because I have it all together. I go to church because I don't. I need grace. I need forgiveness. I need mercy. I need Him to bring that into my life. And so I come to church because I know I'm a broken person. And as you come to Jesus Christ, we come acknowledging our confession. We come acknowledging our sin. We come acknowledging that we have fallen short and that we need the grace of Jesus Christ to come into our lives once again. This woman comes in not acting like, you know, I'm going to put on a different outfit and they'll never know who I am. She comes in and she's a sinner and yet she dares to approach Christ. In the same way, we come in and, I, and He knows that we're sinners and yet He still lets us worship Him. He still lets us come before Him. And as we do that, we need to come in not, okay, well, I know I'm a sinner, but I'm going to put on a tie or a dress and try to look good and try to act like I have it all together. We need to know as we come in, we all come in as sinners. We all come in as people who have fallen short. We all come in as people who need grace. And we come in, therefore, asking God to bring that healing and that renewal and that mercy into our lives. We don't come in acting like we have it all together. Next question, number four is this, am I too familiar with God? Am I too familiar with God? Look at um, verse 38. It says, as she stood behind him, at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. It's a striking phrase there at the beginning of verse 38 for me. As she stood behind him, she, she didn't come walking up to him as though she owned the place or as though she had any right. She came in behind, and she's kneeling behind him at her feet and, and doing these, these things that, that are talked about there. There was a humility there. When I, mean, when I say in the outline there, are we too familiar with God, I don't mean that we know him too much or anything like that. I mean, sometimes we get too, we get too familiar with him when it comes to worship. We come in and we treat God like an old buddy from out of town, and as we gather, we just... We act like that's no big deal to be in the presence of God. And I know that he's asked us to call him Father, and I know that Jesus is our brother, but there should be a sense of awe. 
at coming into the presence of Almighty God. There should be a sense of an awareness of how great He is and how perfect He is and how holy He is. And as we gather together, that we are only able to come into His presence by the grace and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. There needs to be a sense of awe as we gather. And sometimes we kind of come in and, you know, it's, it's casual. It's no big deal. And we need to be aware of how great God is. As you look at that verse and you think of um, 38, as she stood behind him, and you think of the humility there, you think of, of the awareness of where she was falling short and how great she thought Jesus was. She couldn't bring herself to approach Him from the front. She came from behind Him. Do we have that sense of an awe of God? Not that we should fear Him in the sense of, of, of thinking He's horrible, but that we do have this sense of how great God is. Number five. Number five. Am I embarrassed to get emotional? Am I embarrassed to get emotional? Again, looking at 38, it says, as she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. We, um, we gather together sometimes, and again, going back to what I alluded to a moment ago, you know, a sermon touches us or a song touches us and we feel maybe it's joy and we want to raise a hand or maybe it's, it's that we're touched deep within us and we want to shed a tear. But again, sometimes we get embarrassed by that. Well, I, don't, I don't want the person down the road for me to, to see me crying. What are they going to think? Or I, I don't want somebody else to see me raise a hand because what are they going to think? I don't know. They might think you love Jesus. That wouldn't be a bad thing, would it? As we gather together, you know, I, I was talking to somebody last night and I do think it's really important. We need to be careful. There are people that will say things that, that are unbiblical, like, you know, you just need to follow your heart. Or um, you just need to, to, you know, whatever gives you peace, you need to pursue whatever gives you peace. Those are both terrible ideas. Because when I just listen to my heart, well, the problem is my heart's desperately wicked and may lead me in the wrong direction. When, I say, when you say, well, just do whatever gives you peace, well, sometimes um, what gives you peace is the thing that is, keeping you in your comfort zone, and God wants you to step out and do something bold for Him. Both of those are not ways to live our lives. We should live our lives following what God wants us to do. And as we do that, one of the things I've heard and I think is true is that emotions are a terrible locomotive, but they're a good caboose. And that is that generally if we do what God wants us to do, the emotions will come along. We shouldn't let our emotions guide us. We shouldn't let our emotions be the leader because that will lead us down a bad track. But oftentimes our emotions will come along. And so as I do honor God, as I try to follow Him, as I try to, to, to do what He wants me to do, it, it would make sense that along the way there, there's going to be some tears of gratitude at all that He's done for me. It would make sense that there's going to be a heart full of joy as I contemplate how good He's been to me. Now, that doesn't mean that we are required to do that. It doesn't mean that we have to. But it does mean when I'm in that moment and I'm obeying Christ and I'm in a worship service and somebody's singing a song that just brings joy to my heart, because I've been following Jesus all week and my heart is being lifted up, there's nothing wrong in that moment with raising a hand because my heart is filled with joy. There's nothing wrong with shedding a tear because my heart is overwhelmed by how thankful I am. Here we have this woman 
who is openly weeping, as she stood behind him at his feet weeping. She didn't care. She, what was coming up inside of her was welling over because she had that much love for Jesus. Do we have the willingness to let that overflow when it should, not manufactured, but when it should, in order to show our love for Christ? And then I want to hop down later in the passage. So Jesus tells the story in verses 41 and 42 about the, the two people who owe a lot of money. He then goes on and says, which one would, they're both forgiven, which one would appreciate it the most, the one who's been forgiven the most. Jesus talks about the fact that when you've been forgiven of much, um, you know, that, that's the person who appreciates it so much. And then hopping down to verses 48 and 49. He's been talking about the ones who have been forgiven of a lot. And then in 48, it says, Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives The last question is this, am I still in awe of Jesus' forgiveness? Am I still in awe of Jesus' forgiveness? Um, It's it's hard, I know, when we hear on a regular basis, the preacher gets up and talks about Jesus dying on the cross for us, and, and, and we talk about the fact that we can be forgiven, and it does become old hat, and we just kind of get familiar with it, and we're used to it, and we don't think about it. But the question in 49 is one that's worth stopping and pondering for a minute. The other guests, after Jesus says, your sins are forgiven, the other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sin? That's a great question, isn't it? Who is this who even forgives sin? And sometimes as we are a part of the church and we hear the gospel preached all the time, it it, it can lose... um, the awe that we should have, the amazement that we should have, that having done all the mistakes that I've done, having done all the sins that I've done, all the ways that I've fallen short, that Jesus loves me enough to forgive me and to welcome me in as a member of his family. Who is this who even forgives sins? And I think we as the church need to have a little bit more of an awareness of how awesome that is, because when we go out to those that are struggling with addiction, or those that are struggling with the mistakes that they've made, or those that are struggling with thoughts that they're worthless, to think that in all the mistakes that we've made, that we can come and there is one that we can look at and He is willing to forgive us. Who is this who even forgives sin? It's Jesus. Jesus forgives sin. And we need to have an awareness every time that we hear that good news that it is an amazing thing. The gospel that we preach is not something to take for granted, but we need to be thankful for the amazing truth that we serve a Savior who forgives sin. Look back earlier in the passage as we close up. 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. 
Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. How does the way that we worship Jesus week in and week out, how does the way that we worship God week in and week out compare with the devotion and the love that this woman shares? Are we just showing up and biding our time, or do we desire to come and to give God the glory that He is worthy of? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you this morning for the example that this woman gives us. And Father, I pray that as, um, that as we gather week in and week out, that we would have a desire to give you our hearts. That we would have a desire to honor you and lift you up and glorify you. Father, we confess that too often we're just putting in our time. And I pray this evening, or this morning rather, I pray this morning that, that we might increase our desire to be ones that glorify you. I pray in Jesus' name.